As we come now to God's Word, if you'd like to read with me, you can turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews. We'll be reading out of the beginning here of Hebrews. And before we read, as always, would you pray with me? Lord, we know that your word is a lamp. It's a light in the room. Would you help us now to hold this lamp, to hold your word out in front of us so that we would know and see where to go? Would you open your word to us now by your spirit and guide us, we pray, and help us to believe? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read here uh, out of Hebrews in chapter 1, these first three verses. It may break here, uh, depending on your translation, in the middle of a sentence, but but that's okay. Uh, This is Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Long ago, at many times, And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is God's word. All right. So as a church now, on Sunday mornings, we are setting out on a new journey here together today we will begin navigating our way through the book of Hebrews. And in these opening verses, it's a little bit like we're in an airplane here who is, which is taxied out onto the runway. So now we're sitting in the airplane, it's the stuffy cabin, you know, and, and, and the seatbelt light comes on and we buckle our seats. And as we're out on the runway in the plane, we start to hear the jet engines turn on and start to rumble. And we can feel the rumbling of the wheels underneath our seats as it's going down the tarmac. And we can, if you look out the window, you can see the world begin to go faster and faster past the window and the whole plane begins to vibrate and then there's a tilt. And we can feel the plane lift and go airborne. These verses are the takeoff of Hebrews. And there's so much happening in just these first three verses that it, can, that it can be, if we just look at it briefly, it can be a blur, just like outside of our window. Uh, but it's important that we look at this because this is now setting the trajectory of our flight. We, we want to make sure that we're headed in the right direction. And so I want us to really take time to look at what the author says to us here. 
which will take us a bit of time. In fact, I think it will take us a whole month to unpack these first three verses. Don't worry, I promise we will not go at that same pace through the entire book of Hebrews. We wouldn't make it three chapter, 13 chapters if we did. Uh, but I think it's important for us that we take a real good, hard look here. And I don't think this will be boring, even though we go over the same verses several weeks in a row. There's a lot of moving parts that make this plane fly, so there's going to be plenty to explore, plenty to be curious about, plenty to come to love. Uh, but that's where we're headed. So next week, as we look at these verses again, I'm going to uh, talk through and, and hopefully explain some more of the context of Hebrews, how these verses really fit into the book of Hebrews as a whole. But this week, I want to focus on just even a smaller section of these three verses. It's the beginning part of verse 3. Let me read it again. Verse 3. He, this is Jesus, the Son of God, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, why would I focus on this part and not the very first verses? It's because today is a unique Sunday in the, in the year of the church. You know, we've just come out of the season of Advent, we can see evidence of it still around the church. You know, Advent means waiting. These are the weeks leading up to Christmas. There's an anticipation of the birth of Jesus. And there's often this big, big build up to Christmas. You know, even culturally, all the radio and, uh, and all the stores, there's a bustle. Uh, there's kind of this build uh, toward it. And so Christmas then comes to this sort of huge finale uh, of, of the whole thing. And then after Christmas, when it's over, December 27th. It can feel like a movie theater feels after the movie ends. You know, you look around after the credits and there's just trash all over the floor and things are pretty sticky. And, and your eyes maybe hurt <laughs> a little bit and, and you just feel full of popcorn and sugar. And, and, and there's a shoe somewhere who, who leaves without their shoe, but somehow there's things left there, and, and, and the place which was once full of people is now just empty, and everybody goes home. That's often how we treat Christmas, but historically, the Christmas season functioned very different from this. Christmas Day in Christian history was not the end of the holiday as we often treat it, but the beginning. It's the opening credits to the movie. Uh, so if at your home you still have Christmas decorations up because you just haven't gotten around to them, like is the case in our house, you can just tell people if they give you a hard time, I, you know, I'm just in line with historic Christianity here, uh, so, th so you can relax there. Uh, but you know, we're familiar with this. Um, you know the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas? We all know this, Partridge in the Pear Tree, the one that goes on forever. Um, Christmas Day is not the twelfth day. It's the first day. Christmas Day is the Partridge in the Pear Tree day. So you know what today is? Today is the twelfth day of Christmas. Today is the drummer, twelve drummers drumming. And there's actually a special name for this day. Perhaps you've heard it. Today is called 
Epiphany. Epiphany. If you go home and look at your calendar, most, you know, month, yearly calendars have it on there. Look, I mean, we hardly ever celebrate it, so you may not even recognize it, kind of gloss by. But if you look on this Sunday, it probably says Epiphany Sunday. Now, to be clear, there's no command in the Bible to celebrate this thing that we call Epiphany. Uh, but in fairness, there's really no command to celebrate Christmas or Easter quite in the same way we do it either. Uh, but these holidays are highlighting particular truths about Jesus. And so it's wise and will benefit us to set aside special time to look at them. So what is Epiphany Sunday? Um, I mean, if you hear the word epiphany, if you're not familiar with the holiday, if you go, well, epiphany, isn't that when you just have like a realization? I had an epiphany, like a, a, a sudden thought kind of pops into your head. It's the, you know, the aha moment, the light bulb that comes over your head. That's an epiphany. Um, that's not quite what we're talking about here. Little Greek lesson. If you groan inside, it'll be short here. The word epiphany comes from the Greek, which is what the New Testament's written in. If you're reading with me in Hebrews, turn back a couple of pages so, so we can help figure this out. And to uh, 2 Timothy, just flip a few pages to your left. So the word epiphany is in here in the Greek. I'll point it out when we get to it. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me read here, beginning in verse 8. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8. He says this, Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the epiphany or the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. Epiphany is an appearing of something. So when we talk about a mental epiphany, it's when the, the, the thought comes out of nowhere into your head. It just appears. So specifically, when we're talking about the holiday of Epiphany, we are referring to the appearance of Jesus, even though he's eternal. You notice when Paul's writing here in 2 Timothy, he says in the verse right before, in, in verse 9, he says, God gave his people grace in Jesus before the world began. Jesus is before all worlds, and there was grace in Jesus for us before the world began. That is before Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning. There's grace in Jesus before let there be light. There was grace before Adam and Eve. There was grace before their rebellion against God, before sin entered the world, before you were born, before you had done anything good or bad, before all of this God has given grace in Jesus. This is his purpose. So it's like God's grace in Jesus hangs above us in a, in a net of balloons. You know, the ones that fall. It's up there, waiting to appear. And then 
Jesus comes and pulls the cord and the balloons fall as he is manifested, as he appears, as he epiphanies to us. So in Christmas, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, how God became man in Bethlehem. In Epiphany, we're celebrating the appearing of Jesus, how God became known in the world. Not just how he came, but how he he was made known. So in places where Epiphany is celebrated as a real holiday, sometimes they'll, they'll focus on the baptism of Jesus as an adult when he is announced publicly as the Son of God. He then appears to the people that way. Or sometimes we see people focus on, on Jesus' first miracle when he turns water into wine and, and sort of appears in power in his public ministry. Or most often here in the West, we focus on the wise men. Now they come, and then they go back to Persia. Now the appearing of Christ is starting to spread in the world. That's why some call Epiphany Three Kings Day. Whatever we look at there, all of these are really emphasizing the fact that Jesus has appeared in the world. Now, what does that have to do with this part of Hebrews? When we look at these, uh, this verse, verse 3, the writer here is really giving us two metaphors to help us understand what it looks like for us that Jesus has appeared. Let's look at them individually. You can see again in verse 3, he, Jesus, here's the first metaphor, is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. So do you remember... Uh, several months ago when there was all that buzz about the eclipse. And some people actually went to special parts to see it, but everyone's kind of buying those, those special lensed glasses because you, our eyes can't handle actually looking at the sun, but through these glasses you could look at it and see part of it. And if you're in the right place at the right time, you could see an eclipse if you look at it at the right moment. Instead of seeing the actual sun itself, you could see the halo around it. It's the radiance, the rays of the sun. So we're actually seeing the radiance of the sun right now. Even though it's a cloudy day, the light in the room is not coming from electricity. It is coming from the the radiance of the sun. So Jesus then is like that. John says it in a slightly different way in the beginning of his gospel. Just a single verse here. In John chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, No one has ever seen God. But here's the second part. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So even though we cannot see God in the same way that we cannot look directly at the sun because we simply cannot handle it, When we look at Jesus, the radiance of the sun, we can know the sun. So that's the first metaphor he uses. But just to make sure we get it, uh, the writer of Hebrews uses a second metaphor, which I, as a words guy, I kind of like better, personally. Uh, He's the radiance of the glory of God. There's the first. Here's the second metaphor. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. 
He's the exact imprint of God's nature. Some Bibles translate this, he's the exact representation of God's nature, or he's the image of God's nature. In the original Greek, boy, two Greek words in one day. We can handle it. In the original Greek, you'll recognize this word, exact representation. It's the word character. He's the character of God's nature. And in their context, that meant, uh, you know, a stamp or a ring that's got a little uh, image on it, and you press it into wax or into ink as a seal. That, that ring or that stamp is the character, or the wax, the seal itself, is the character. In our context, which I think is helpful, uh, it's something like a, a printed letter. So typewriters, does anyone still have a typewriter in their home? Oh, yeah, a few still. Typewriters once existed before computers. Uh, now they're decorations often. But, but if you've got a typewriter, depending on the kind of, of typewriter that you've got, if you press a particular key, this bar swings up out of some tucked-in place and goes thwap on the page and then tucks right back into its, its hidden place where you can't see it anymore. But it leaves a mark. A letter, a character on the page. That's what Jesus is like. He's the character of God. Not only do we see him, by looking at it, we know that that character, that mark, means something. It's not just random ink. So if you're writing a, a, a letter to me, normally now it's not on typewriters, but email, if you write an email to me, uh, not always, but sometimes I'll often sign off my email with a single letter, N. And if you see that, that character, that N, is the exact imprint of me. When you see that, you know it's me speaking to you. Jesus is like this in relation to the Father. So on the night before Jesus was arrested and, and tried and murdered, on the night before he was crucified, he sat with his disciples. And he said to them, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. And one of the disciples says to him, Jesus, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. And Jesus' response then to this disciple, to this follower, is, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, in Epiphany, we're celebrating the fact that when Christ appeared to us, God himself appeared to us. Just let that sink in for a moment. God, God has appeared to us. Now, let me take this plane and steer it in the direction of your living room, okay? How does this change us, knowing that God has appeared to us in Jesus? 
There's lots of ways, but I want to mention one thing that we need to guard against that is not true, something we want to avoid out of this. So uh, many of us, I would imagine, are familiar with the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You know it, that's the first line, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And there's a lot of wonderful things about the song, but there is a problem with the song, at least in the way that we often hear it. So it starts like this. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. So far, that's good. Those are good things. Those are true things. Uh, If we're in trouble of darkness, we want to go to the light of Jesus. Now, then we get to the chorus. Hear this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The things of earth will grow strangely dim? Hmm. Now, to be fair, I think I know what the writer means by this, that that sometimes we treasure things about our world that we should not, that these things really are nothing compared with the value and worth of Jesus. Jesus is infinitely lovely, and nothing can compare, and that's absolutely true. However, we need to be careful then not to get the impression that in the light of Jesus, nothing else matters. That everything else grows dim. If we think that, that will lead us to hide. It will lead us into escapism, It will lead us to neglect things that we want and need to love. It will lead us to retreat backward into darkness and dimness. I mean, we know that this is not how light works, that when a light is turned on, it makes everything else dim. It's the opposite of that. I mean, if you ever watch a sunrise, if you get up early enough, cup of coffee, and you look out on the horizon, you're not seeing the sun itself, not yet, but you are seeing the radiance of the sun, the beams of sun rays, and when those sun rays appear, the darkness begins to melt away, and you can see more of everything else, not less. More of the trees, more of the grass, more of the birds and the worms and the cows, more of your own hand, even. The writer of Hebrews then says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And his next words are not, he disregards the universe as insignificant. No, it's he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Because now in the light of Christ, you can see it for what it is, all of it. Now, here comes the airplane right into your living room. Now that Christ, the radiance of God, now that he has appeared, we see all of life by his light. We see our jobs 
in the light of the radiance of Christ. We see our marriages and our relationships in light of the radiance of Christ. We see our heartbreak in light of the radiance of Christ. We see our choices, our decisions, our habits in light of the radiance of Christ. We see our abuses and hurts from abuse in light of the radiance of Christ. We see our internet and Amazon purchases in light of the radiance of Christ. We see our, our pain and our secrets in light of the radiance of Christ. The furthest corners of our heart are now in the light of the radiance of Christ. And I don't know whether that reality makes you feel comforted or uncomfortable. If you're like me, it's probably a mixture of those things. But now as we set out on this journey through the book of Hebrews, this at least shows us something that is truly incredible about God and the way he relates to us. When Jesus appeared in the world, it was not as a cheap magic trick. Poof, ta-da, aren't you impressed? And he did not appear in the way that some appear as an obligation to a party. I'll make an appearance just so I can say I did it, and then I'll go home where I really want to be. No. Christ appeared in the epiphany because God wants us to know him. God wants you to really know him, to look at Jesus and come to say, ah, this is what God is like. So buckle up. This plane is getting ready for takeoff. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for showing yourself to us in Jesus. Help us to feel the full gravity of this, that we would actually come to see God. Help us to desire to know you and to be known by you. Lord, especially as we come to your table, would you show us your love and sacrifice for us in Jesus? And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.